All right, well, good morning again. Good to see all of you on this We're Back Sunday. And as we've said, we certainly hope that we stay back, but we'll see how that rolls out in the future. We can't predict the, the future, but we do know who holds the future. And we are going to today be thankful that we are back and rejoice in the day that the Lord has given us. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open it to the book of Hebrews. While you're doing that, I'll give you a couple of things. One, um, I was able to get us, I mean, I didn't do anything special. I got an email and they said, hey, you want this? I said, yes, I'll take 200 of them. 200 free copies of the book Gentle and Lowly. I've been talking to you guys about this book for a number of months, what it's meant to me personally. I'd encourage every single one of you to grab a copy. They are free. Best book I've read in the last 15 years. Uh, it is that good. After Knowing God is probably... Uh, one of the best books that's been written in the modern era, if you don't want to go back and read some of the, which you should, some of the old classics of, of, of fathers beforehand. Grab this, read it at the Connect Center. I promise you'll be blessed. If this is your first time at Providence, let me give you a little bit of a heads up on kind of what we do. Uh, we typically just preach through books of the Bible. We rotate Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. So earlier this year, we did the book of Exodus. Um, and the reason we do this is really for two reasons. One is to expose you to the full counsel of God's Word. And then secondly, so that we can't dodge anything. Like we can't skip the hard stuff when we come to it uh, as we're going through the Scriptures. And so hopefully that creates a little bit of truthfulness between uh, us, whoever is up in this pulpit, and you, because we're not skipping it. We're not just up here telling you what we think, some hobby horse. We're seeking to show you, here's what the, the Bible says. Like this kind of preaching is called expository preaching. We're just seeking to expose you to what the Word says and then bring application to our lives. And so that's how we roll here at Providence. And today we're kicking off this new series through the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bible, again, open it up to Hebrews chapter 1. It's near the end of the New Testament. James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. That's the last little bit of the Bible. So near the end, if you don't have a Bible with you, the black hardback ones around you will be on page 1001 in there. So do grab that. We're going to read together a good bit here in just a little bit. But with it being mid-August, that means right around the corner is college football. All right? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right? Now, the thing about college football today is it is very much predicated upon recruiting. Right? You look year in, year out, the top five teams are pretty much going to be the exact top five teams in the recruiting rankings. You can look at those. And so year in, year out, millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent recruiting. And all of the recruits, are, they're trying to, the, the schools are trying to convince the, the recruits, like, we are the best. We are better than any other program. We are supreme over all programs. And so they're just arguing why they are the best, why you should come play for them. So some people will be like, well, we have better coaches. We have a better record. We have a better pedigree, a better history. Come play for us. Other places will say we have better facilities. Come play for us. Other people say we have better academics and opportunities for life after football. Make a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. Come play for us. And so all of these schools are just arguing, we're better in this way, we're better in that way, we're better in this way, we're better in that way. And in a lot of ways, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing in this book. Arguing that Jesus is better in this way, and that way, and this way, 
and in that way, because most likely this book was written in the mid-60s of the first century. And it was written to converted Jews who were part of the church in Rome. Like all the ancient manuscripts have it titled to the Hebrews. And so if you know your history, then you know that Nero has come to power in Rome. And he has, I, like already, he may have already set Rome on fire and blamed the Christians or that soon coming. One of the two. And so the, the, the persecution pressure cooker is mounting. And it is about to explode, whereas Bruce Shelley, a historian, described that Christians were sewn up inside of wild animal skins and giant dogs were released on them to tear them to pieces. Women were tied to mad bulls and dragged to their death. And then in the afternoon, after it got dark, Christians were covered with pitch, put on poles, set on fire to light Nero's garden. Now, let that bring some level of perspective to the persecution we face today. But like with all of that going on, if you put yourself there for a minute, you, like in that place, converted Jews in Rome, if that's what you're going to face as a Christian, there would be a strong temptation to shrink back into the protected religion of Judaism. Like to, to turn back to that. If this is what you're going to face as part of the way, as it was called, or Christianity, why not go back to Judaism? And so either looking at this or knowing it's coming, the author of Hebrews, and we're not 100% sure who that is. We know he's a close associate of Paul. We know he's well-versed in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, Right? If, my, if I was going to bet, I'd say it's probably Barnabas, but we have no proof. We don't know who it is. But either way, the author is writing to them in this context saying, don't shrink back. Stay the course because Jesus is better. Like He's supreme over everything that you might want to turn back to. So don't shrink back. Don't turn back. And so if you've got your sermon guide, like just look at how the argument rolls out. I gave you a general outline. This is how the, the book rolls out. He says, listen, he's, he's better than the angels. That's chapter 1 and 2. He's better than Moses and the prophets. That's chapters 3 and 4. He's better than Aaron and Melchizedek and all the priests. Chapters 5 through 7. And he mediates a better covenant than the old covenant. Chapter 8. Chapter 9 and 10. He's a better sacrifice. And then because of this, have faith. You get that chapter 11, the hall of faith? Because of this, because Jesus is better, endure. Endure hardships. Hebrews 10.23 sums it up well. Let us hold fast our confession without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And so the theme of the whole book then is all about the supremacy of Christ. That he is better. Like it, it's the why behind, like, don't shrink back. Why do, should we not shrink back? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme over all things. 
And that plea comes down to us today. That call comes to us today. Don't shrink back from the truths of Christ in the face of conflict or temptation. But stay the course. Why? Because Jesus is better. He's better than sexuality. He's better than gender pronouns. He's better than partisan politics. He's better than being liked for others, for agreeing with them about the shifting sands of culture, which are always shifting. We have authority. He's better than the American dream. He's better than the praise of man. He's better than good gifts, like a spouse, a family, a good job, the positive outcome of your circumstances. He's better than your opinions. He's better than your desires. He's better than, as the title of the sermon, fill in the blank. He's better than any God replacement or idol that the idol factory of our hearts could come up with and put at the center of our lives, that we revolve everything around. And because Jesus is better, listen to me, that means for us, we too, we can endure anything that comes in the future. Whether that's pandemics, that's persecution like our brothers and sisters in Myanmar, North Korea, Afghanistan. Jesus is better. And so we press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's better. In some reading I was doing this week, I came across, uh, I was reading a, a book by John Piper, and I came across a quote, and he says, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And so my prayer through this series is that we would vomit out all the small things of the world and we would drink deeply of the supremacy of Christ. That our minds would dwell on, be caught up on, be captured by the image of this, the supreme reality of the universe. The supremacy of His independence. Like, think about this. He doesn't need anything. His self-existence, no beginning, no end, self-caused. His unchangeableness, the supremacy of His eternality, His omniscience, His wisdom, His truthfulness, the supremacy of His goodness, His love, His grace, His mercy, His peace. This is who our God is and therefore His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His wrath against sin, the supremacy of His freedom, Again, he doesn't need anything. He's in need of nothing. Of his omnipotence, he's all-powerful. His omniscience, he's all-knowing. His omnipresence, he's everywhere present. There's nowhere you can go where he's not. His perfection, his blessedness, his majesty, his glory. For quoting Piper again, when you see the magnitude of Christ, temptation looks like the stupid, suicidal, insane little monster that it is. Jesus is better than fill in the blank. He's just straight better. 
supreme over all things. So by way of introduction to help us kind of really begin to see this argument of don't shrink back, stay the course because Jesus is better, let me read to you the first four chapters of this book. In the ancient church, a letter came in, and the pastor, the elder, would read the whole thing. We're not going to do that this morning. I got cat, we got catfish. i got to get to that, right? But we are going to read the first four chapters. And so if you'll join me, page 1001 in the Bibles that are around you. Let's read together. And see this context. See the beginnings of this argument. Don't shrink back because Jesus is better than everything. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, that's Christmas, right? He says, let's all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son... He says, your throne, and catch this, O God. So God the Father is calling the Son God. This is the Trinity, Deity. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Even the author saying, I didn't hear it firsthand. I heard it from someone who did hear it firsthand. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, 
and putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned, this is how we see him, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And who are the offspring of Abraham? All who have faith. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That is a substitutionary payment that diverts or absorbs the wrath of God against sin. Jesus did that in our place on the cross. What we deserve, he took. To make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How comforting is all this? He's our brother. He helps us in our temptation. He understands it. He gets it. He's proud for us to be his brothers and sisters. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you, shall, you, sh you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So we've transitioned from he's better than the angels to now he's better than Moses. He's worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house, it's an important word, as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we, the church, are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. This is Exodus and we just went through. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
It says, swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. I mean, let's hear these warnings. Take care. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. But then again, in this passage, he had said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has already rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, a couple things. One, did anybody put a timer on that? What we got? 
10 minutes, 58 seconds. If you read four chapters a day, 10 minutes, 58 seconds, you'll read through the Bible one and a half times in a year. 10 minutes and 58 seconds. Take up and read. Read the Bible. One and a half times in a year. I bet if we did some math, and I'm not fast enough to do it in my head, but even if you just read five days, take Saturday and Sunday off. Guarantee you make it, make it through the Bible in a year with 10 minutes and 58 seconds outside of gathering in this place for worship and community. That's the best thing you can do for yourself for, to grow in Christ, to renew your mind daily in God's Word. So do that, 10 minutes, 58 seconds. Secondly, Hebrews assumes that the readers understand the Old Testament. There's tons in there, right? So as we make our way through Hebrews, we're going to have to read it with our Old Testament open as well. That's why it was good that we went through Exodus. You might have think someone even planned that, right? So it's a good thing. You've got to have that open. But like what we just did right then is we heard from God in a fuller context of the letter than we typically do. Like it is good and right to dive deep and dwell on certain passages. That's what we're about to do over a number of months. Really examine certain passages, seeking to understand the author's original meaning, even where it's contrary to our common American traditions. So that's where we're all going to be going, but it's also important to get the great big picture. And that's why it's good to read a bigger portion and as we said, the great big picture is a call to the church to don't turn back. Don't, don't shrink away. But to press on. Keep going. Have faith. Endure hardship. Not to nibble at the table of the world, but to drink deeply of the reality of the supremacy of Christ over all things and then to think that this great majestic, high and lifted up God of the universe would love us. And Jesus would come to redeem us. He would count it a blessing to Him to call us brothers and sisters. The Father would adopt us into His family and love us. Not just tolerate us, but love us. And Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He gets it because he's been tempted in every way, just like we are. But he didn't sin. And he would call us to continually, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive. Like he's, It's a plenteous, a plenteous supply. Receive mercy and grace in time of need. That the supreme reality of the universe would care about our individual struggles. What we face. That, that is truly crazy and good and life-giving news. Good news. And so may the Lord bless this series to the praise of His glorious grace, the good of you and I, the salvation of those who do not yet believe that we all might, on the backside of this, turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in His glorious face. And like the song says, what happens then is the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His the supremacy of His glory and grace. Jesus is better. Hold fast.
fast. Let's pray. Father, help us to this. We cannot do this of our own selves. You call us to hold fast to you, but we know that truly you're the one who's holding fast to us. But Father, help us to see your worth, to see your glory, to see your supremacy, that you are better than anything, to not waste our lives on the trivialities of things that are a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. That you are better than that. And you call us to something greater than that. You call us to yourself. And Lord, let that vision so capture our hearts that we would have the courage to endure, to press on in whatever it is that we face. It's different for every single one of us in here, but you are intimately aware of it. And you are shaping us in the midst of it. For you are better, and you love us, and you're for us. You've redeemed your followers from their sins. You've given us eternal life with you forever. And Father, as we see your supremacy, help us to be happy to play the background. That we don't have to try to be somebody. Rather, we know somebody. We know the somebody. In the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.